Welcome to another episode of Ed's Up, sponsored by the Southern Early Childhood Association. Ed's Up is a podcast all about children and those that care for them. Hosted by Dr. Kathy Grace and Dr. Kenya Wolf with the Graduate Center for the Study of Early Learning at the University of Mississippi. We're so glad to be back with you today. I am Dr. Kathy Grace along with Dr. Kenya Wolf, and we are so pleased to be able to interview Dr. Shirley Raines, and we'll talk just a minute or two about Dr. Raines before she comes on. But I also want to invite everybody to listen in to all of our podcasts, and hopefully you will enjoy these, whether or not you're a university teacher, a classroom teacher, a parent, grandparent, or anyone that's just interested in young children. So again, we're glad that you've joined us today. Uh, and so now I'm going to turn over our opportunities for visiting to conversation that Kenya and I will have with Dr. Raines. Dr. Raines and I have known each other for a few years as we just reconnected here not too many years ago. And I have followed her career that has been just amazing. And I think that as we do our interview, we'll learn more about her journey. But Dr. Raines is the only university president that I'm aware of that is an early childhood educator first. And she served very successfully as president of the University of Memphis for many years. But she had many other positions before that time. And so, uh, Dr. Raines, I'll just ask you to tell us a little bit about how you came to where you are today. Well, I'm retired. So I'm president emeritus of the University of Memphis, where I served for 12 years. And uh, that's a long time for a university president, as you know. And I was the first female president. So I'm very proud of that because I learned it was important to encourage young women. And one of the ways that we do that is to encourage educators to see what possibilities exist for women. And they, in turn, encourage the children and students as well. So in the last few years, I've been retired 10. It's hard for me to believe. But I've been writing again. I've written four children's books. I've written 21 books, uh, 16 for teachers, four for children, and one for leaders. Although I may write another leader's book. I'm trying to decide that. But uh, you and I go way back. I started my career as a Head Start director in Knoxville, Tennessee, and was there for four years before getting a master's degree in child development and early education. Then I started uh, the Community Child Center at Rhone State Community College and worked on my doctorate at the University of Tennessee in curriculum and instruction with, at that time, they didn't have a doctorate in early childhood there. And interestingly, on the form for the doctoral program, you had to check off what your collateral areas of study were going to be. So, of course, I said early childhood education, language arts and literature, and I had to put one more. And so I said, what else is there? Well, I've been an administrator of Head Start. I'll just put administration and supervision, which, of course, was a godsend because it helped me to do jobs that I subsequently did. And so I, had, I taught in Kentucky as a, as a preschool teacher, but 
I also taught here in Tennessee, and then I went to the University of Alabama, where I met my husband, Bob Kennedy, and uh, taught early childhood classes there. And then I went on a sabbatical for a year and helped design an early childhood program at uh, North Carolina Wesleyan. And then I went to Oklahoma. You know, at that time, wives followed their husbands around. And so I carried his briefcase for a lot of years. <laughs> and we we went from Oklahoma and he took a job in, at Marymount in Virginia. And I took a job at George Mason, where my dear colleague Joan Eisenberg is. And uh, then from there, I went to Florida as an administrator. I'd been a department chair everywhere I went. I'd go as a professor. And before I knew it, I was a department chair. So <laughs> I thought, heck, I'll just apply for a department chair position. So I applied for one and got one in Florida, thinking I would be there forever, retire there, have a beautiful life there. Three years later, I got an opportunity to go to University of Kentucky as the dean of education. And then three years later, they said, will you stay and also be the director of administration and enrollment? And so I said, no, I don't want to leave. I love being dean of education. I get early childhood and language arts and reading and creativity and all that. And they said, no, we need you to do this job. Finally, I said, okay, I'll do both of them. I'll do one in the morning and one in the afternoon. Now, only a woman would do that. I don't know of a single man who would do that. But anyway, I did one in the morning and one in the afternoon. But that prepared me for the opportunity at Memphis. And a former president at the University of Kentucky nominated me to be president of the University of Memphis. And I very much wanted to go back to Tennessee because my mother was ill. I needed to be close to them, which Memphis is just 72 miles from Crockett County. So it was a godsend for me, and I loved it for 12 years, and I hated it for 12 years. You know, it's the love-hate relationship, the challenges and the joys and the problems, but all good. Wow, what an amazing journey you've had and so many opportunities I want to ask you, you are a book author, and one of your kind of classic books um, is The Story Stretcher. And that book became so popular that there was a sequel. What do you um, attribute to The Story Stretcher's success? And can you share a little bit about it for those who aren't familiar with it? Well, it is a book that includes 18 units that teachers often teach, like families and friends and feelings and that time and seasons and all that kind of thing, 18 units. And I selected five books to go with each unit. And then I came up with activities to stretch each of the uh, ideas from these books into curriculum areas or into our centers. But the the success of this book was because I was all also teaching a language arts class at George Mason and um, was doing much more about children's literature than they expected in this class. 
So I asked teachers for what their favorite books were for dealing with children. And then I read, I went into their classrooms and I read each book to make sure that it would meet the kids test. And some of them frankly didn't. And then there were some that they told me would work that I didn't believe would work because I was all convinced that it was only the story that mattered. But the fun of some of the books was what captured the children's attention. So one, it was a good idea. Two, it was the first book that Griffin House, the now rather famous publisher of teachers' materials, it was their first book they ever published. So they had this wonderful audience of teachers who were ordering children's literature from them, and then they provided this book. Now, it is a sequel, but actually there's five of them. There's story stretchers, more story stretchers, story stretchers for the primary, more story stretchers for the primary, and stories, uh, story stretchers for infants, toddlers, and twos. So it led to this whole series, and I think I used the same, one, I used the same format. I used the, the teacher recommendations and testing them out with real children. So not only the books, but the teachers then, if I agreed to come to their classroom, they agreed to do the activities that we designed, and therefore, uh, I had them teacher tested and children tested. And because this was a publisher of children's books, they were not going to let me put in something that wasn't good. Well, I just want to say that it was a tremendous contribution at that time, as you mentioned, particularly. But now it's still a contribution. Griffin House has grown and they have many titles. But with all of this new emphasis in uh, the state-funded pre-K and uh, additional dollars perhaps going into other programs on the local level as well as the state dollars. I hope that this book is brought back up if it's not promoted as much as it should be because it's something that is timeless and it certainly would speak to what teachers should be doing today. And I think that's one of the things I'd like to talk to you just a minute or two about because of what you and I have seen over the years in terms of of the evolution in some areas good, some areas not so good about what a good early childhood or a high quality early childhood program really means. People have defined it in different ways. There have been different tools to help people make those decisions. But you have always, and you just mentioned, uh, been such a supporter of teacher-child interactions and yes. how important that is. In your retirement years, you wrote a book on leadership, and then you have also returned to your early childhood roots with these beautiful books. And I won't talk about that in a minute, too. But before we do, I want to ask your thoughts on where do you think we're going in the field today with some of the issues that we've been confronted with, and and I don't mean just COVID and how the pandemic completely rewrote the script on lots of things, early childhood education being one of them, and also some of the situations we're seeing now with potential book banning, and in some cases books are being banned, 
And uh, so we've actually had one or two authors on our podcast who have had some books that have been banned. Could you just sort of tie this into leadership today and what leadership maybe looked like 25 years ago and how we have watched the need for sometimes a different sort of leader, but where do you feel we are going in all this direction? I've thrown a whole lot at you, but I'm so interested in what your thoughts are. Well, of course, I think we're going the wrong direction. I think we're going absolutely the wrong direction. I think we have to get back to the child and where the child is developmentally and surround that child with an environment at home and an environment in the preschool and whatever, the kindergarten, the everything that reflects where the child is developmentally. I'm very concerned in every state, this one included, where the emphasis on the test score has driven the teachers to do things that are against their will. My daughter-in-law is a first grade teacher, moved to second grade but she has over 20 years of experience teaching first grade, and she is as sick as the kindergarten and the preschool teachers are. It is not just us. And the banned books is a symptom of a a larger problem of not appreciating parents, not appreciating community, and not appreciating the voice of the teacher. The teachers in our school had to go through all their books before school started with a representative from the school district and take out some books. Now, that made me sick. I mean, I've written letters, I've written to legislators, I've written to governors, but we do need strong leaders. And to tell you the truth, Our leaders, just as they did years ago, do not know about child growth and development. And now they don't appreciate teachers' voices. Used to, they would listen to their teachers, but they don't appreciate teachers' voices. So all I can say is vote and vote them out. We had just this weekend in our community a meeting with librarians who were so worried. And our community. Oak Ridge, Tennessee is a very liberal community, but they are worried about what is happening in the dynamics with the with the schools. I chair the advisory board for Oak Ridge Institute for Science and Education, and scientists, not only are early childhood educators worried, but scientists are worried about children growing up without the scientific knowledge they need in order to be interested in the sciences. Uh, So I'm, as you can tell, I'm worked up about this, but you know, those are my feelings. What the remedies are, voting, being represented, but also continuing to support teachers who are trying to do the right things without them losing their jobs. Some teachers have been to the point of losing their jobs and others have just quit. Some of our seasoned best people have quit. And my daughter-in-law, Marnie, tells me the names of those people. She's thought about it as well. So it's heartbreaking. We need 
people who know about early childhood, but Kathy, we've been saying this forever, <laughs> you and I. So when I became a president, I wanted a dean of education and arts and sciences and engineering who knew about children or was willing to learn. In fact, I put them on each other's search committees for selecting the dean to be sure that the voices of teachers were represented. So now I'm getting too excited here and I'll talk, I'll stop there because that's how I feel. That's how I feel and what I know from the experiences people share with me. No, I don't think you're too excited at all. Can you excuse me? I'm just (laughs) saying that we need more passion and we need that communication around the things you just brought up. But I do want to ask you, and Kenya, if you want to pick up on this question that I kind of overrode about her new books, I will certainly let you have the floor on that. But I just have to say, because I've just looked at them, they are beautiful. Shirley, I mean, absolutely beautiful. And I knew you were going to just mention how you came across this wonderful photographer, but also to your words and how you've, again, thought about children and how children need to understand metamorphosis and and all the things that go through in the evolution of, in this case, butterflies. So can you excuse me? I'm going to turn this over to you and Shirley now. You certainly have done so much. And from the complex leadership work to the more simple early childhood books that are so beautiful, as Kathy mentioned. Can you tell us a little bit about how you found this photographer and what kind of elicited these books? (laughs) The partnership of these books? Yes. Well, there are four of them. And the first one was Birds, this one. And it is magnificent. Uh, And Kurt Hart, is the nature photographer. I was volunteering in my granddaughter's kindergarten class and her teacher was doing a theme on birds. And I had written poems about birds for years because I'd love birds. So I started coming in and sharing my bird poems. And she said, you should put this into a book. I went to um, a NACI conference and I met the Flower Pot Press publishers, and uh, I said, I don't know who you are. And she said, we're from Franklin, Tennessee. I said, I'm from Tennessee. Why don't I know, I know you? She said, well, we're also in Canada. So I, I said, uh, she said, have you written anything? And I laughed <laughs> because I had... And she said, send me these bird poems and see if we think we want them. And they specialize, they're an early childhood press, and they specialize in pre-K through third grade and sell some things uh, fourth and fifth. So I sent her my bird poems, and then she said, well, where are your photographs? (laughs) I said, I don't have any can we draw some? She said, no, we can't draw them. They have to be the real thing when you have points like yours. So on Facebook, I saw these beautiful bird photographs and uh, I looked at the, I looked at the name below Kurt Hart and I sent him a message on Facebook and said, could I call him? So I called him 
and said, what camera do you use? What lenses do you use? I foolishly thought I was going to take pictures of birds. And he started laughing. He said, you don't know who I am, do you, Dr. Raines? And I said, I certainly don't, but you're a wonderful photographer of birds. And he said, I've been the pronouncer. I'm a faculty member, and I have been the pronouncer for every graduation of every student who crosses that stage. And I said, oh, Kurt, I'm so sorry (laughs) that I didn't recognize you. And, of course, he got a big kick out of it and probably told the story all over Memphis. But anyway, I introduced him to Flower Pot Press, and I said, you have to make a special deal with him because... I I can't do the photographs and I and he's the only one I know who makes photographs like this and they made a special deal with him. I don't know what the deal is. <laughs> I have my deal and he has his. But we did birds and notice they're all starting with bees, birds, and then we did butterflies, which Kathy likes. Now if you think photographing birds is difficulty try photographing butterflies it gets harder then he said we said the publisher said well we need something on bees everybody's going crazy about bees we need something on bees so we put together bees which are now okay he's gone from photographing birds to butterflies to bees And then they said, well, if you do bees, you have to do bugs. Now, they chose not to say insects. They said bugs. So there he's gone from the size of a bird to a butterfly to a bee and to a bug. So it's amazing. His photography is amazing. And I take, I mean, I wrote and researched, but he he got, the, he made the books come to life, so I'm I love them, of course. And you can get them on Amazon. You should tell everybody you can get them on Zam- Amazon. But if they want them autographed, they have to contact me. <laughs> and we will put that information under our podcast information in our notes. Okay, great, thank you. So you can tell I'm excited about it. And I've shared them in classes. I've shared them with preschools. I've shared them with Head Start. I was on an airplane once and they were lying in the seat and the person next to me kept looking at them. And I said, okay, you can look at them. So I don't know how many I have uh, influenced just by carrying them around and showing the pretty covers. Well, they are beautiful. And I'm curious, have you always been a poet? Well, uh, pretty much so, but not ever a good one. (laughs) I mean, I'm good for poetry for children. My adult poems have never gone anywhere. (laughs) So um, my mother wrote poetry and read it to me. And I've read poetry all my life. But since I love children, and make no bones about it and think I know a lot about children. I think poetry helps them become better at their own language and at reading and parents love it. And it's the foundation of our songs we sing for children and that kind of thing. So yes, I'm a lover of poetry and try to be a writer of it. 
Well, the books are absolutely beautiful. So listeners, please check them out. Well, I think we've got one more or two more questions that we want okay. to just carry on in our conversation. And uh, Kenya and I have struggled with this one as we go out and meet with teachers across Mississippi as well as across the country. Uh, I'm still doing a lot of work within the South specifically, but I am finding, and of course this is not a a, uh, scientific measure in any stretch of the imagination, but I am seeing an overarching struggle that many of them are having with regard, as you mentioned, some are, are considering leaving early the classroom because of their frustrations, but just the struggle of, of hanging on to the joy of teaching. Yes. And so what are some suggestions you might have as far as how teachers or how professors and institutions of higher learning or leaders in any capacity, what can we do to help teachers recapture if they've lost it, that joy, that sense of joy that I always found and could see in many classrooms in the past with regard to young children? Well, I think one thing is to use what brings has always brought them joy, whether it was setting up a beautiful science center or whether it was reading a book to them or whether it was dancing to a tune or whether it was singing with them. Whatever has brought them joy in the past, I encourage them to open that door and invite it back in. You may not be able to have the science help that you thought you wanted, the focus may be, or you may not have the the encouragement to do the manipulatives you've always done. But I can tell you what's very interesting is in middle school, where my grandson is, they, they're encouraging them to use manipulatives and using real life experiences and all of that. So I would say, go back to what brought you joy in the past. If it's mentoring a new teacher, do that. If it's getting together with teacher friends and talking about how you can circumvent the uh, problem that you're having, then then do that. I have I've had this experience of teachers telling me that their mentor teacher, when they got their first job, had a mentor in the school, and she said, forget all they've told you at the university. You have to do things differently now. Well, that teacher didn't do that. She had a wonderful kindergarten, and it was one that then next year the parents were clamoring to get their children into her kindergarten because she had a wonderful experience for them. And I can say that my daughter-in-law, Marty, who's a first grade teacher, has had that same experience. But she's even she, with 20 years experience as a first grade teacher, was discouraged. Um, but she mentored a lot of other people and they've worked together and her teacher colleagues have made the difference for her. So go back to what you enjoyed and find some way to put that joy back into your classroom. I saw, uh, you've probably seen these already on playgrounds, friendship benches. Well, the first time I saw one, I just hugged (laughs) the teacher who told me about it. 
because I was so pleased that as a school, they had taken on the problem of bullying. The things that that did is it made the teachers much more aware of children and their behavior, which is what, you know, what we want. So put the joy back in, get with your colleagues, find sympathetic listeners, but don't go it alone. Wonderful advice. Well, I think that you've given us some things to think about, and anyone who's tuned in, I hope we'll have a good bit of time to reflect on what you've said and can move whatever their environment is or whatever their circle of influence is to think about these things that we've talked about today. And I think one of the other things I'd like to underscore is when we've talked about you retiring, that's really a misnomer. You you really haven't retired. It's just that maybe you're choosing what you would like to do so that you're still working, but you're working specifically with the things that you like to do. And that's what I need to tell myself more often. I <laughs> try to remember that. <laughs> but I think the fact that, as you, you said, some of us who have been around a while, seasoned perhaps, we need to continue in some role to try to continue this discussion that you and I have started today and that Kenya and I I say that Kenya is young Kenya sometimes argues with me a little bit but she represents the next group if you would in my opinion of leaders which we desperately need to be able to identify and uh, uh, lean on Kenya may kind of shudder when I say that but that is I think where we are with the next generation so to speak, coming up. Yes. Well, Shirley Raines, thank you again for such a good conversation. Is there anything else that you'd like to add that we haven't touched on? Well, I would. You know, I always want to add something. Uh, I would say that in education and in society, there are waves of change that we don't approve of. And then there are waves of change that we can grasp and hold on to and just be alert to those and return to the child and that will give us the answer but one more thing we have to be careful of building silos around ourselves and saying well we're only for the developmentally appropriate practice people we're here and we're for the play people over here and so forth if you build silos People won't talk to you because we we have to find a way to communicate with the people who are in the other silo. And I'm not saying that play and developmentally appropriate practice are the other silos, but I'm talking about developmentally appropriate practice, child-led curriculum, all those kinds of things are one silo. And over here are all of the testing, assessment, book banning, those kind of things. But we have to be sure we can keep enough conversations open to influence them. And I think that's going to be a, a challenge that is extremely important that we meet, given the fact of the situation that we're facing on a lot of fronts today. So thank you again. and uh, Wonderful. Thank you. I would just like to say this is Kathy Grace and Kenya Wolf, and hopefully you will join us again for our next episode of Ed's Up. 
Thank you for joining us today for Ed's Up. If you have an early education topic you'd like to discuss, let us know about it at edsup at olemiss.edu. The Ed's Up podcast is a production of the Graduate Center for the Study of Early Learning at the University of Mississippi. The views and opinions of podcast participants are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of the university, its employees, or any affiliated entity.